This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, I wasn't here yesterday. So I'll give you my thoughts on Monday night's NCAA title game a day late. But better late than never. A nice gut check win by the Nationals yesterday who finally had an opportunity to play. A terrible night last night if you were a uh, Pittsburgh sports fan. I'll play you some clips from Bob Huggins, who was on a statewide sports line Monday night. And again, I wasn't here yesterday. And Huggins goes in again on the NCAA transfer portal. And we'll check in at Augusta where the Masters get ready to start tomorrow. And also where uh, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred is a member. But we won't get into that uh, right now. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the morning rush. So here we go. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential Work day. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Check out our uh, Twitter pages at ESPN Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C. Like them, follow them. I guess, what do you do? You follow on Twitter, you like on Facebook, you follow on Twitter, right? Whenever you do that, whichever one it is, uh, anytime you feel, you know, froggy, take the leap and leave me a message. Drop me a line. Any questions you have, any uh, comments, opinions, anything we talk about, feel free. Also, check out our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day, minus commercials, just for you, unless it's days like yesterday when I wasn't here. So uh, there's nothing there. So there you go. Several ways to get involved uh, on today's show, or any other show for that matter. All right, let's kick off today's. We kick off every day with the rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with girls' high school basketball, where Frankfurt avenged an earlier loss to Hampshire with a 57-28 win over the Trojans on senior night in short gap. Marie Perdue, another great night for the Falcons, 28 points, 5 boards, 5 steals. Uh, Liz Pryor led Hampshire with 8 points. Elsewhere, Moorfield was a 52-31 winner over Pendleton County, and Preston lost to Morgantown uh, 64-50. On the boys' side, Tucker County was one bucket better than Moorfield, 61-59. Zach Colbank led Tucker with 18 points. Coleman Mongold had a game-high 22 for Moorfield. Elsewhere, Hampshire is now 5-0 and in section play with a 55-40 win over Trinity. 
Uh, Drew Keckley had 22 points for the Trojans, and it was a Martinsburg over Hedgesville, 65-53. to 53. So big, big doings, big goings-on out there in Romney as the Hampshire boys and girls have secured a home court in the section playoffs, which begin Friday for the girls. Believe it or not. If I'm not mistaken, if I read it correctly, if my memory serves, Kaiser and Berkeley Springs will play, is it tonight or tomorrow? One of the two nights. And then Hampshire hosts the winner on Friday. That's girls action. Boys section will start next week. And we'll actually uh, hear from Hampshire girls coach uh, Julianne Buckley uh, later on in the show. In Major League Baseball, the Nationals finally Got their season underway yesterday, and it was well worth the wait. Smith, the lefty sets. Runners lead first and second to pitch. Swing it away, driving to center field, a base hit. Robles to third, it gets by Pache to the wall. Robles coming in to score. And an opening day, Curly W is in the books. Charlie slows the call on the Nationals radio network. Juan Soto, a walk-off single in the ninth to give the Nats a 6-5 win over the Braves. Uh, Trey Turner had a two-run homer for Washington, which put 10 players on the injured list before the game uh, due to COVID issues uh, still within the team. Elsewhere, Garrett Cole struck out 13 as the Yankees beat the Orioles 7-2. Rio Ruiz had a two-run homer for the O's, who have lost two straight after a 3-0 start. And the Pirates got hammered by the Reds in Cincinnati, 14-1. Phillip Evans hit a solo homer for the Bucs, who have now lost a four straight after a season-opening win. On the ice last night, the Islanders and Capitals battled it out for first place in the East Division. Back near side, Pulak's right point, chance, Nelson scores! On the rebound, Brock Nelson on a right point chance. The rebound left there. And Brock Nelson puts it home. It's 1-0 New York. John Walton, the call on the Capitals radio network. That was the only goal of the game as the Isles beat the Caps 1-0 in New York. Semyon Varlamov made 29 saves for the Islanders, who pulled even with the Caps for first place in the East Division. Also in the Division and also in New York, the Rangers got goals from eight different players. In an 8-4 win over the Penguins, uh, Mike Matheson had a goal and assist for Pittsburgh, which now trails both the Isles and Caps by four points in the Division. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporelli Group. And... I gotta tell you, last night was one of those nights when, uh, as a sports fan, you wonder why you even bother. You wonder why you even do what you do and, and put yourself through what you put yourself through. I was so excited to sit down last night and turn on the TV Because the Pirates and the Penguins were playing at the same time. And I could watch them both. See, that wasn't always the case. But AT&T Sports Pittsburgh 
created a second channel because uh, this time of the year, they actually created the channel uh, last year because of scheduling conflicts. But at this time of the year, you got baseball and hockey happening at the same time. So they made an extra channel, an overflow channel. So if we have the Pirates and Pens at the same time, like last night, you could watch them both. It's kind of like uh, like Masson has two channels, one for the O's and one for the Nationals. So I was ready last night. I was off yesterday, took the day off, got some sleep. I was rested. We had an early practice, so I was home early, made some dinner, and settled in for a night of what we call in the Berg Bucks and Pucks, Pirates and Pens, Pirates versus the Reds, Pens versus the Rangers. And about an hour in, I was looking for something else to do. <laughs> because at one point, the Bucks and Pens were getting outscored 8 nothing, And it just got worse from there. It got worse from there. Pirates are losing 5-0. Pens are losing 3-0 in the first period. Pirates got hammered 14-1. The Reds with 17 hits on the night. And the Penguins were just, they weren't even competitive. They weren't even, like I said, they lost 8-4. Uh, to four, Got doubled up. 8 about the only thing interesting about that hockey game was the fact that you had 12 goals scored and all 12 were scored by different players. Nobody had a multi, no, which is very rare, very rare. When you have 12 goals scored, you can almost bet the house that somebody is going to have at least two goals. But you had eight different goal scorers for the Rangers, four different ones for the Pens. They, you know, Penguins pulled their goaltender after the first period. Not that it was all his fault. It was just one of those listless, just, you know, one of those nights for the Pens. Pirates are terrible, which we knew they would be. We knew the Pirates were going to be the Pirates. They are in this full rebuild mode. But after they won you know, the season opener against the Cubs, it's always great when you get that first win, right? It's always great when baseball starts to, to get off on the right foot. You're off to a 1-0 start. You're feeling good. And then for the Bucks, it's been all downhill since then. Four straight losses. They're now 1-4. and four. And as we are previewing the teams before the season started, you knew the big issue with the Pirates is going to be pitching. Well, one of the major issues they have. And when you look at their losing streak, they've given up five runs, four runs, five runs, 14. Do the math, that's what, 19, 23, 20, that's 28 runs in four. They're giving up an average of seven runs a game. And the Reds just teed off. Uh, Cahill, Trevor Cahill got the start for the Bucks last night. He gave up seven. Seven. And the Pirates, while their offense is, is decent, 
they don't have the firepower to come back, you know, from six, seven, eight. They just don't. And then you factor in that their best player, their best young player, Key Brian Hayes, he gets hurt in a second game of the year, right? A left wrist issue. And now he's on the injured list for the 10-day injured list. And you're just thankful if you're a Pirates fan that the injury isn't worse than it actually is. So you get off the 1-0 start, but then, and it's just, being a Pirates fan, that's what you go through. You know, and Orioles fans, you could also, you know, relate. Because you get off the 1-0 start for the Pirates, and then everything just falls apart. Game number two, and they lost that game 5-1 to the Cubs. Hayes gets hurt, and it's like, here we go again. Like, this is why we can't have nice things. This is, this is the suffering we have to go through. That our best, our youngest, our brightest star gets hurt in the second game of the year. And now he's on the shelf for at least 10 days. Then you got the Orioles who are off to a 3-0 start, right? First 3-0 start since 2017. They sweep the Red Sox. You're feeling good about yourself. You're a nose fan. And now they've lost two straight because they can't beat the Yankees in New York. Garrett Cole was dominant last night, 13 Ks. The O's haven't beaten the Yankees in the Bronx, I think, 12 straight now. As I drop the keyboard on my lap. There we go. I'm still using the double keyboard, by the way. Just in case you were wondering, which I know you weren't, but I forgot to bring it up anyway. Because still, I refuse to switch out my laptops. I have a brand new laptop at home. I won't use it. Because this laptop is still functional, except for, you know, the entire keyboard, which is rather important when you're talking about laptops. So I plug in an external keyboard and use that on my old laptop because I'm just one of those guys who will run something completely into the ground before I replace it. Anyway. But the O's, I mean, what are you going to do? They're still 3-2. and two. They're still above 500. It's still early. And they have a chance to salvage something from the series uh, tonight against the Yanks. But like I said, you know, they can't beat the Yankees in New York. 12 straight losses there. And they've lost them pretty pretty big. 7 nothing and 7-2. And you kind of just hope, and again, this is the life of a Pirates fan or an Orioles fan. You just hope that the Orioles can win tonight. To go to four to two, right? Because the long, the longer you can stay above five hundred, the better off you feel. Because you know it's only a matter of time, right? You know it's only a matter of time. So you win tonight. You're still four and two. You're still feeling pretty decent because you have Boston again after that, a team you just swept open the season. If you lose tonight, you're three and three. Now you're sitting at 500. You're getting a little bit nervous. Like the Pirates, they're done. All right, they're done. They're finished. They're one and four. That's it. And even after when they won the first game of the season, when they beat the Cubs, I was talking to my son, and we're like, "Well, at least we're above 500 for one day." And now they're one and four, and they'll never see 500 again. That's it. It's April 7th. It's April 7th. We're five games into the season, and the Pirates season is over. 
they still have 157 more games to play. Or 56, whatever it is. And they're done. And that's what we've had to deal with for the longest time. Minus that little stretch from 2013 to 20, whatever it was, 2016, 2017. Actually, it was 2015, right? Three straight years of the wild card. But such is the life. You want to be a Pirates fan or an Orioles fan? Here you go. This is it. Five games in. Five. 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 (laughs) The calendar just turned last week. Empire season is over. And the Orioles, again, uh, it's, 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 it's inevitable. But at least it's a little more fun. The longer you can stay above 500, the better it is. The Nationals, I thought, really good win last night. Really good win. Uh, you figure, here's a team, had their first four games postponed because of COVID issues. They finally take the field against Atlanta. They're shorthanded. Max Scherzer gets touched up early, and they still find a way to win in the ninth inning on Soto's walk-off hit. Before the game, as I mentioned in the Rock Around the Region, Washington put 10 players on the injured list, none with specified injuries. So you assume it was all COVID-related. And when you look at the names on the list, you have starting pitchers Patrick Corbin and John Lester which obviously didn't factor into yesterday's game because Scherzer got the start, but does factor into today's doubleheader. The entire right side of the infield, Josh Bell and Josh Harrison, former Pirates, on that list. Closer Brad Hand, Kyle Schwarber on that list, and two catchers, Jan Gomes and Alex Avila, both put on that list before the game. The Nats had to re- they recalled seven players. They signed a 32-year-old catcher, Jonathan Lucroy, who started yesterday and actually came through with a two-run double after they fell behind 4-0. And you factor in that Scherzer was not sharp early. Ronald Acuna Jr. parked the very first pitch of the game into the seats for a home run, which was one of four. They hit four homers off Scherzer. Now, fortunately for him and the Nats, they were all solo homers, so it was only 4 nothing. And then Luke Corey has a two-run double. Trey Turner hits the two-run homer, and it's tied 4-4. Now, Scherzer did settle down after, you know, batting practice, after serving up batting practice, and he retired 12 of the last 13 batters he faced. And he was in the clubhouse when Soto came through with that walk-off hit. Oh, it was great. Watching in there, had a beer ready. Uh, so as soon as we got that hit, you know, cracked that beer open. Weird, frustrating start, but we won the game. That's what that's what matters most. And, you know, we find, found a way to be able to go uh, at least six innings, uh, even some of those innings so we didn't have to use all the bullpen arms and get those guys in there. And they did a great job today. And then the offense came through in the end. Uh, that's, that's what you want. Uh, so it was an all-around good team win. So he's just hanging out in the clubhouse with a beer, just waiting for the game to be over. <laughs> as soon as Soto, all the life of a starting pitcher. You go six innings, and you retire to the clubhouse, and you're hanging out uh, with a beverage. And as soon as Soto hits the walk-off, he cracks the beverage, and there you go. 
Now, since the first game of the series was postponed on Monday, they'll play a seven-inning doubleheader today. Uh, Eric Fetty gets to start game one for the Nats at 12.05. Steven Strasburg makes his season debut in the uh, nightcap, although you know it's in the afternoon, at 3.05. Now, I heard somebody call this a traditional doubleheader because the games are back-to-back. But there's really nothing traditional about the games being seven innings long, which I still don't like. Regardless of how long they are, both games can be heard right here on this very station, pregame beginning at 11.35. So we'll see if the Nats can, uh, you know, ride the wave of that walk-off last night into tonight's quote-unquote traditional doubleheader. Good win for them. Big win for them. After the long wait, right, they start the season five days late, all the COVID issues, all the players on the injured list, and they find a way to win. The Braves, by the way, still haven't won a game this season. So they're off to a slow start. All right, when we come back, I'll look back at Monday's title game. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland, ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Now, because I wasn't here yesterday, took the day off, uh, didn't have a chance to give you my thoughts on Monday night's national title game, so let's do that now. Yeah, it's a day late, better late than never, right? And if you want to chime in, give your thoughts on what transpired Monday night in Indianapolis, uh, feel free. And I told you Monday when we previewed the game, that I not only like Baylor plus the four and a half, that I like them to win outright. But, man, I never expected (laughs) what we saw on Monday. Just total and thorough domination by the Bears over Gonzaga. I don't know what happened. I don't know if Gonzaga was tired after Saturday's, you know, overtime win over UCLA. I'm sure that that may have had something to do with it. But more than that, Baylor was just a better team. And we're actually on the bus ride home from our game Monday night. And so I'm checking the score on my phone because it had already tipped off. And I, I just I couldn't believe what was happening. I couldn't believe. And again, I thought Baylor would win. But to win like that, I, I don't know if anybody saw that coming. Their guards were dominant. And, and, and we mentioned that Monday. Because we thought that might happen because of, of what we saw UCLA's guards do the game before. The, the Bruins' four guards scored 79 of their 90 points in the Final Four. And then when you looked at Baylor's guards, who are better than UCLA's guards, you thought they might have a chance to you know duplicate what UCLA did. And, and not only did they duplicate it, they, were, they took it to another level. They were dominant. You know, Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler... Macy Oteague. And when you look at the way the game started, Baylor's first five buckets, Mitchell, Butler, Mitchell, 
Butler, Mitchell. And before you know it, it's 11-1. Baylor right out of the gate. 10-point lead right out of the gate. Then that lead, you know, it builds. It's 23-8. Then it's 29-10, 19-point lead after Teague makes a three-pointer. Gonzaga just couldn't stop it. Now, they did make a run late in the first half, right? And they pulled to within 10 at the break. And they cut it to 9 to start the second half. And you think, all right, here they you know, here they come. Because you kept on waiting. You kept on waiting for Gonzaga to make a run, to make a push. And they just they couldn't. Because after they cut it to 9, here comes Butler, bang, bang, back-to-back threes. And then it was over after that. I think the closest they got was 13. I think I think Kispert hit a three with around nine, eight minutes to go. But the game was over. That final, that push, that run, just it just never happened. Baylor was just too good, too athletic. Their defense was just stifling. I mean, Gonzaga shot 51%. But they only scored, they scored a season-low 70 points. They never got clean looks at the bucket, never got clean looks from a three-point line because Baylor's defense is just all over the place. Just aggressive, attacking defense. And the bottom line is this. We were duped, okay? We were bamboozled. We were hoodwinked. We were led to believe that Gonzaga was the best team in the country. We became enamored with Gonzaga and its chase for perfection, right? They were ranked number one all season long. They hadn't lost a game. You know, there were people talking about the Zags being one of the all-time great teams ever if they could pull off the perfect season. What we failed to realize is that Baylor had been the better team all season long, not Gonzaga. They were definitely the better team in the tournament, and they were most certainly the better team on Monday. They played a tougher schedule. They played in a much tougher conference. They had to endure that three-week COVID pause, and they definitely had a much tougher road to get to the final game than Gonzaga did. And... When you look at Baylor in the NCAA tournament, they won six games by an average of 15 points. Their closest margin was nine, and that was the win against Arkansas. They went through a five seed, a three, a two, and a one. They destroyed second-seeded Houston, and then they destroyed the top overall seed in the tournament, Gonzaga. And when you look at it, when when you take a step back, at the end of it all, Baylor only finished with one more loss than Gonzaga. I know the Zags' loss came in the last game of the season, but when you look at the the, the, the final tally, Zags were 31-1, and one. Baylor 28-2. Gonzaga's chase for perfection 
overshadowed the fact that Baylor was the best team in the country all season long. And they proved that on Monday night. I heard some people say post-game, and I agree, if Baylor never had to go through that, that COVID pause, they may have been undefeated going into the final game. They were just better. Now, did I expect that kind of dominance Monday? I didn't. But I think we became so caught up with the Gonzaga storyline, right? And I think people still consider Gonzaga this outlier, this outsider looking in. They they, they still look at Gonzaga as this uh, mid-major, and they're not. They're not. So we still get caught up in that storyline. Because they've never won a national championship. Even though they've had really, really good teams in the past. And we got caught up in the fact that, oh, they can become the first team since 19... How many times are we here? 1976, Indiana. To finish the season undefeated. And if they do, they'll be one of the greatest teams of all time. And now, they won't even be remembered. Seriously. That's the difference one game can make. Especially when you get your Faces kicked in in the national championship game. That's what happens. I heard uh, Mike Golick Jr. talk about because he played on a Notre Dame team that went 12 and 0. And that team got absolutely shellacked by Alabama in the national championship game. Nobody remembers, nor do they care, that Notre Dame was 12 and 0. Just don't. Nobody's going to remember or care eventually that Gonzaga was 31-0 going into Monday night's game because they got hammered. They got shellacked. They got beat by the better team, which Baylor had been all season long. We just didn't notice it. I mean, that game Monday night doesn't happen. Unless Baylor is by far the better team. Doesn't happen. And again, you want to attribute some of that to Saturday's game, the overtime game against UCLA? All right. I'll give you that. But I would say that really the first time Gonzaga's been tested for the past two months, two and a half months, was Saturday and Monday. And they simply couldn't handle it. Because of who they play and where they play. And I'll get into that next. People are going to call me a hater. But there's something about Gonzaga where I will never, never give them 100% credit for what they do. And it has to do with where they play. That's coming up next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Our rush line is open, 301-759-2628. We're talking about uh, Monday night's national championship game. Thorough domination by Baylor over Gonzaga. We're talking about it now because uh, I wasn't here yesterday. 
And before I get back to that, I saw uh, something just now on Facebook. Because during the breaks, as I've mentioned before, I check the socials. Just in case there's any kind of breaking news, breaking headlines, you know. And this is worth a reminder. This has nothing to do with sports. But because weather is getting nicer and we'll all be busting out the lawnmowers pretty soon. Some of you, I guarantee, already have because you can't wait to cut the grass. Uh, I don't I don't even know you. <laughs> I'll wait until I possibly can't wait any longer to cut my grass. All right? I just, I do. Some people have already cut it probably twice. But since we've got lawnmowers coming out now, please be sure this is I'm all serious about this now to check your yard for uh rabbit's nest bunny bunny nests okay those those are, those are a real thing in case you don't know and what happens is they'll dig a hole and then they'll have the bunnies in the hole and then they'll cover it up you know for protection they're very hard they're very hard to see just like if you're if you're scanning your yard from a distance you, you can't see them so check your yards for the for the the rabbit's nest, the bunny's nest. Take a walk around the, the grounds. If you see any kind of thing, you know you can you can tell you can tell when they're there if you're up right you know right on top of them. Because the last thing you want, and believe me, I know this because I know a person who had this happen to them. You want to be scarred for life. Run over a bunny's nest with your lawnmower. And I mean that in all you If you want something to happen in your life that will haunt you to the day you die, let that happen. So just that's your public service announcement for today. Check your yard for bunnies' nests before you cut your grass for the first time this year. Anyway, uh, speaking of getting run over as we trans <laughs> as we transition back to basketball, Gonzaga got run over on Monday night, and. As far as Gonzaga is concerned, this this is what I can say. They, they lost in the national title game for the second time in five years. Uh, go join a better conference, okay? Now, when I say this, people look at me cross-eyed because they think I'm being a hater and all this other kind of whatever. Mark Few has done a hell of a job up, up there in Gonzaga. He really has. He's turned them around. He's turned them into a national contender. But they're now 0-2 in national title games. And as we'll hear here in a moment, they do not fare well against top seeds in the tournament. I will never take Gonzaga seriously. I don't care what their record is. Unless A, they win a national title, or B, they get into a tougher conference. The West Coast Conference is garbage. And I will always take points away from Gonzaga each season for dominating a conference where BYU or Santa Clara is the second-best team each season in that conference. Yes, Gonzaga played and beat West Virginia, Virginia, Iowa, and Kansas early in the season. I give them full marks for that. That's impressive. But then they start play in the WCC and then just steamroll everybody which in turn gives them a pretty lofty seed in the NCAA tournament. They didn't play anybody higher than a six seed in the tournament before they played Baylor on Monday. It was just too easy. 
it's too easy for Gonzaga after their non-conference schedule is over. Because then they start play in that garbage West Coast Conference. So when a hot team like UCLA comes along, and then Baylor, Gonzaga can't handle it. And I've said this before. Go join the Pac-12 or the Big 12. Hell, go even join the Mountain West and play some decent competition throughout the entire season, not just early on, maybe, then maybe, they'll be better prepared for the grind of the NCAA tournament. This Gonzaga team, just like the unbeaten Kentucky team from 2015, just like the 18-0 Patriots, they won't be remembered because they just they couldn't finish the job. Will they be in the mix next season? Of course they will. Of course they will. Will they win a national championship? I won't believe it until I see it. Because of the conference they play in and the competition they play after their non-conference schedule is over. With more, let's check in with the guys at PTI. Even in defeat, is Gonzaga now a Goliath of college basketball? Absolutely, Tony. And This is not, like, immediate. This has been going on for a few years. You don't have to necessarily win the championship. you got to be hanging around at the top, a threat, and a team that beats up on the littles. And and Gonzaga is definitely that, Tony. And, again, not the first. I mean, DePaul didn't win a national championship, you know, in modern time. And with the great teams they had in the 80s and into, I guess, the early 90s. But they were always hanging around at the top with great teams. St. John's also had that in the 80s. I'm talking about the Lou Carnesecca teams now with Chris Mullen and Barry and Mark Jackson and all those kids. They were a Goliath, yes, even though they did not win. So you got a definition of it to me, and maybe you disagree, is hanging around and being a threat to win all the time. Yes, Gonzaga is that. I think that they have been seated near the top for the last 10 to 15 years. And they have not yet won a championship. Twice they've gotten to the final game, I believe, but they have not won. And I think it's their conference that hurts them. I think they are not prepared to play the normal four or five tough games in the NCAA tournament to win six of them. This year, for example, they played a 16. You figure on that. They played an eight. They played a five in Creighton, a team that nobody even thought would win in the first round. Then they played a six and an 11. When they finally got to a tough game against a one, they got crushed. They got crushed and they scheduled hard. Mike, they had Kansas and Iowa and Virginia and West Virginia. They won them all early in the season. But Mark Few's record in this tournament against number one seeds is 0-8. 0-8 tells you you that that conference schedule doesn't prepare you. So are you saying oh, they're, they're a Goliath? Not a Goliath? Oh no, they're definitely a Goliath. But I think if they, okay. I think if they were in the Pac-12 and they lost once or twice, they'd be better served to Maybe win so. the national championship. So. That's what I'm saying. Maybe so. Not maybe so. It is so. See, Kornheiser and I were on the same page here. Oh, and eight against number one seeds in the tournament, Gonzaga. That to me is telling. That, to me, says whenever they get to the toughest of the tough competition, they can't, they can't do it because they play in the West Coast Conference. Because after their non-conference, and again, I give them full marks for beating the teams they beat early in the season, Kansas, Virginia, West Virginia, and Iowa. 
But then they hit cruise control, and, and the West, they've dominated that conference for two decades. And it's hard to ramp it back up in the NCAA tournament. And you look at what Baylor did. Baylor, having to go through all those COVID issues, but they played in the Big 12, second best, second toughest conference in the country. They took a few knocks. They took a few hits. But playing against that kind of competition from start to finish gets you more prepared for the grind of the NCAA tournament than, you know, playing tough games early, but then you get to play Pepperdine twice a year, and you get to play Santa Clara twice a year, whoever else is in that conference. It's It's weak. It's weak. I don't know why they didn't back when everybody was switching conferences. Everybody was moving and jumping and shaking. I don't know if the offer wasn't made. I don't know if they just they were happy with where they're at. I don't know. But they should have jumped. They should have jumped somewhere else than that conference they're in now. Because being in the West Coast Conference hurts them each and every year more than it helps them. Again, 0-8 against number one seeds in NCAA tournament. It's not a coincidence. It really isn't. All right. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two around the corner doing push-ups. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. All right. Uh, before we hear from Coach Bob Huggins and we uh, look at the, the Masters, which starts tomorrow, let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with girls high school basketball where Frankfurt avenged an earlier loss to Hampshire with a 57-28 win over the Trojans on senior night in short gap. Marie Perdue had 28 points, five boards, five steals for the Falcons. Liz Pryor led Hampshire with eight points. Elsewhere, Moorfield was a 52-31 winner over Pendleton County and Preston lost to Morgantown 64-50. On the boys' side, Tucker County was a bucket better than Moorfield, 61-59. Zach Colbank led Tucker with 18 points. Coleman Mongold had a game-high 22 for Moorfield. Elsewhere, Hampshire is now 5-0 in section play after a 55-40 win over Trinity. Uh, Drew Keckley had 22 points for the Trojans, and it was Martinsburg over Hedgesville, uh, 65 In Major League Baseball, the Nationals finally got their season underway yesterday, and it was uh, well worth the wait. Smith, the lefty sets. Runners lead first and second the pitch. Swing and a line, driving to center field, a base hit. Robles to third, it gets by, punch out of the wall. Robles coming in to score, and an opening day. Curly W is in the books. Charlie slows the call on the Nationals radio network. Juan Soto, a walk-off single in the ninth to give the Nats a 6-5 win over the Braves. Trey Turner had a two-run homer for Washington, which put 10 players on the injured list before the game uh, due to COVID issues within the team. Elsewhere, Garrett Cole struck out 13 as the Yankees beat the Orioles 7-2. Rio Ruiz had a two-run homer for the O's who have lost two straight after a 3-0 start. And the Pirates got absolutely hammered by the Reds in Cincinnati, 14-1. The Reds pounded out 17 hits. Phillip Evans, a solo homer for the Bucks, 
who have now lost four straight after a season opening win. On the ice last night, the Islanders and Capitals fought it out for first place in the East. Back near side, Pulak's right point, chance, Nelson scores! On the rebound, Brock Nelson on a right point chance, the rebound left there. And Brock Nelson puts it home, it's 1-0 New York. John Walton, the call on the Capitals radio network, that was the only goal of the game. As the Isles beat the Caps 1-0 in New York, Semyon Varlamov made 29 saves for the Islanders, who uh, pulled even with the Caps for first place in the East Division. Also in the East, also in New York, the Rangers got goals from eight different players. In an 8-4 win over the Penguins, uh, Mike Matheson had a goal and assist for Pittsburgh, which now trails both the Isles and Caps by four points in the division. And that is your Rock Around the Region, once again brought to you by the Cap Rally Group. And uh, a weird thing from that hockey game right there. You don't see it very often. You had 12 goals scored in that game between the Pens and the Rangers. All 12 by different players. Eight different goal scorers for the Rangers, four different ones for the Pens. You don't see it. If you have 12 goals scored, generally you're going to have at least one player with multiple goals. So uh, both teams definitely spreading the wealth the Rangers, a little more than the Penguins, <laughs> uh, in that 8-4 game. And as I said in the first hour, in case you missed it, uh, what a tragic night last night if you were a Pittsburgh fan. Like, I was all all geared up to sit down and watch some Bucks and Pucks because they were both on at the same time. AT&T Sports now has two Pittsburgh channels for that very reason, so you can watch both at the same time. And before I know it, I'm looking for something else to do. Because at one point, the Pirates and Penguins were getting outscored by a combined 8 nothing, And it, it, just, it just got worse from there. It really did. So what's the, what's the math on that? What's 14 and uh, 8? 22? So the Penguins and Pirates last night got outscored 22-5. to that's, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. What I ended up watching, and I don't know if this was a new one or not, I ended up watching a 30 for 30. And it was the last days of Bobby Knight. And I didn't even know who the guy was. The the narrator was the guy who broke the story uh, about Bobby Knight choking, uh, putting a hand on the throat of Neil Reed. And, boy, I, I don't want to call it, it wasn't a hit piece because it was true. Like, this guy was put on, I got to find out his name, by the way. He was put on assignment to kind of do this story. There were allegations. This was back in the, uh, was it the, the 99 season, I do believe? There were allegations that Bobby Knight, you know, physically went after one of his players, Neil Reed. And it was really this in-depth look at how Bobby Knight just had, he had control seemingly over the entire campus in Indiana. Like, he was the end-all, be-all. And they were like, uh, they, they played audio clips from some of his locker room. I don't know how they got it. 
But some of his locker room speeches, like after a game, he would just absolutely rip his team. I mean, just rip them. I knew Bobby Knight was, you know, a tough sob. I, I, you knew, you knew what you're getting into when you played for Bobby Knight. But my goodness, like the language he would use and some of the things that he was accused of doing. You know, and then he was accused of the whole the Neil Reed situation, and then, you know, the videotape comes out showing him going after Neil Reed. And, and, and physically, you know, putting his hands on, which you never do. You never do. And look, let me go on record as saying I've always liked Bobby Knight as a coach. Okay? As a coach. I mean, the record speaks for itself. Over 900 wins, three national championships, Hall of Famer. But some of the stuff that he did to either motivate his players or criticize his players, man, some of it was just over the top. Like, I didn't realize the, the scope of it all. You never, I would never, ever condone. A coach should never put his or her hands on a player. Ever. Now, look, every now and then I'll grab a player's jersey, you know, or, or you know, kind of get them on the shoulder. Not, not really in anger, just to get their attention because I want to tell them something. That's different. Night, I mean, my goodness. And again, this stuff happened, so I can't – they really, really painted Bobby Knight, boy, in, in just a way that – like even my wife was just like, boy, he wasn't a very nice guy, was he? And you know, James says Robert a- Robert Abbott. Was that the guy who did the story? Robert Abbott? Let me tell you something about that guy. After I watched that 30 for 30, uh, I had a different a different view of Bobby Knight. Okay? Still respect him as a coach and what he accomplished as a coach. But I had a very different a view of him, some of the some of the the antics, the shenanigans, the, the some of the tactics he used were I just I just can't condone. But I also I'm glad James gave me the name, Robert Abbott. He came off as this smug like, look at me, I'm the guy who took down Bobby Knight. And I had a problem with that guy, too. Maybe it was his voice. Maybe it was the way he narrated the story. But it's almost like he he injected himself into the story. And I had a problem with that as well. I had a problem with a lot of that 30 for 30 now that I think about it. But it was really, uh, it was fascinating. Again, I don't know if it was new. I don't know if it just came out, if it's an old one. But And I missed the first half hour, too, so I made sure I recorded it next time it's on so I can watch the whole thing. But it was good stuff. It was good stuff. If you like Bobby Knight, again, it painted a different picture of Bobby Knight. If you hated Bobby Knight, uh, this will do nothing to change that opinion (laughs) of Bobby Knight. Did not like that guy at all. Did not like the reporter at all. Anyway. Uh, what do we got going on now? Well, we're going to talk about the Masters here in just a bit. We're going to hear from Bob Huggins, who was on a statewide sports line on Monday. Play a few clips from him. Right now, 
let's go with Coach Buckley. Okay, uh, Brian Chase, who works just down the hall at her sister station, 100.1 The Wolf, which is out, you know, the the, the, the central area is the Romney area. So Brian is always on on the uh, the Hampshire beat. He's always talking to the coaches, paying attention to what's going on with Hampshire sports. And Brian, uh, yesterday or the day before, caught up with uh, Hampshire girls coach Julianne Buckley. And as it stands right now, the Hampshire girls are hosting a section playoff game this Friday. They'll play the winner of Kaiser Berkeley Springs. The Hampshire boys also doing very well. They are 5-0 and in the section. And they look to be hosting a section playoff game next week because boys start next week, girls start this week. So uh, Brian caught up with Julianne Buckley to talk about uh, her seniors on that Hampshire team and how the season's going so far. Again, wrapping up, believe it or not, heading to the playoffs. So here is Brian Chase from her sister station, uh, 100.1 The Wolf, uh, with uh, Julianne Buckley. We have Hampshire girls basketball coach Julianne Buckley. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. A lot of reshuffling of the schedule, a lot of games canceled, some different opponents. How challenging has that been to find different opponents when games are canceled at the last minute? We know that the whole state's in the same situation as us. We're fortunate for what we have, and we're just praying we can get in what we have left. University High School, that's your next opponent coming up on Thursday. Is that correct? Yeah. So you play University on Thursday and East Fairmont on Saturday. And then we're talking about the playoffs. Any inkling of who you might get in the playoffs and the regionals and the sectional playoff action? We are actually awaiting those results today. The coaches' voting ballots went in today. Hopefully we know today where we rank in our section. Obviously, we're hopeful to come out number one so we can host a sectional championship at home. And uh, what goes into that, that voting? What goes into that whole process? A little different for us this year. You know, the other side of our region, we're not familiar with any of those teams first year we've ever played them. Every coach gets a ballot. There's seven teams in our region. You rank everybody but yourself, one through six, and then they look at it overall, and then that's how they rank you for sectionals. Getting ready for the playoffs, talking to Hampshire High School girls basketball coach Julianne Buckley. Now, Coach, I saw on your Facebook page, a good way to keep up with your team is Hampshire Trojans girls basketball on Facebook. Really easy to find. Jaden Judy was hurt in the ball game. How is she doing? Well, unfortunately, we aren't really sure of has a broken bone and the muscles in her eye are swollen, so they're not really allowing her eyeball to move right now. She did see an eye doctor, the eye that she took the elbow to. Her vision isn't quite as good as it was. She's awaiting to see if she needs to get surgery. We're just keeping her in our prayers and dedicating the rest of the season for her. She's a senior, and she might be robbed of the rest of the season. It's been pretty sad for us, and we all are trying to wrap our heads around it. We're just trying to be strong for Jaden. Chatting with Hampshire High School girls basketball coach Julianne Buckley, and a lot of games have been played in a short amount of time. And I put this question to Coach Alkire, the boys' high school basketball coach. A lot of games in a short amount of time. Anything differently with managing players' minutes? Not so much as far as the game. I mean, in the games, you know, I like to keep the eight that I have on all varsity. I like to keep them rotating, you know, so we've got fresh legs. You know, every practice is pretty much a pregame. We don't get into a lot of, like, contact drills or, you know, a lot of things that would risk them getting hurt. We watch film, talk about our plan for, for the next team, and more so the changing of the 
you know, the practice days than it is the game. The goal is to keep everybody healthy. So that's, you know, that's really what I'm trying to do. Coach, you have some seniors on the squad. Any of your seniors going to play athletics at the next level or anything that you could tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, we just ask that everybody keep Jaden in your prayers, more so than even returning to the basketball court. We just pray that, you know, everything restores back to normal with her eye and, she, you know, she doesn't lose any sight or have to undergo anything major. Uh, Ellen Keaton has decided to, you know, just focus on school. Lainey Salon is going to Davis and Elkins College to play volleyball. And Gracie Fields is going to Potomac State to play basketball. And did you give Lainey any suggestions? Because I know you're a Davis and Elkins uh, alum. You know, I told her just to stay busy. <laughs> that school, it's interesting to get to a school without a football program. It's a really, really small school, and she'll do just, just fine there. Well, Coach Buckley, we appreciate your time. We wish you the best of luck this week and into the playoffs and for your kids to remain healthy. Thank you so much for the time, and uh, hopefully we'll chat when you're going to the state tournament, we hope. Yes, prayers for that. All right, so there we go. Thanks again, uh, Brian Chase from our sister station, 100.1 The Wolf, uh, talking with Hampshire girls coach Julianne Buckley. I have my dates wrong, my bad. I got to walk it back. That section uh, title game, not this Friday, next Friday. So the Hampshire girls will host either Kaiser or Berkeley Springs for the section title next Friday. And then the boys will be the week after that. So I was off by a week. My bad. And the way they do it is really nonsensical to me. You heard Coach Buckley talk about the voting process. It's it's really one of the more ridiculous things I've seen because even though it doesn't it doesn't matter what the records are coaches still vote for the seating in in the sections and it never made any sense to me and I'll give you a perfect example okay uh Frankfurt boys beat Moorefield on Monday okay so that wrapped up section play for all for the three teams in the section so as it stands now Frankfurt is three and one in the section. Petersburg is two and two. Moorefield's one and three. Okay. So it stands to reason that Frankfurt is the number one seed in the section. Petersburg is number two. And Moorefield number three. Because that's what the records say. You know, that's that's the win and loss record. That's it. But no, <laughs> they still have to vote. On the seating. So, what's the point? What What's the point of even keeping the records if they don't factor in to the seating process? Every other sport on the face of the planet does it that way. Well, if you have the best record, guess what? You're number one. If you have the second best record, guess what? You're number two. If you have the third best record, on and on and on and on. That's how seeding usually works. Not in West Virginia. Coaches still have to vote. So whenever the voting comes up for the section seedings in, in, in that particular section, because remember, a coach can't vote for their own team. All right. So whether we're talking, you know, the boys with uh Moorefield, Petersburg, and Frankfurt. Or like in the girls' case, Hampshire 
Kaiser, and Berkeley. The coaches vote, and you can't vote for your own team. So while the records might tell you that the Frankfurt boys should be number one in their section and the Hampshire girls should be number one in their section and the Hampshire boys should be number one in their section, they still have to to vote. So Frankfurt still has to rely on Petersburg and Moorfield to vote them in as the number one seed. Which they they like they probably will. They probably will. But it's just it's ridiculous to me. Because you never know. You never know, do you? And I, I'm not I'm not saying that Petersburg and Moorfield will do that. I'm just saying. Anywhere across the state. You never know if you have a coach with an axe to grind against another team. Or you never know if it, like what if all the teams were two and two, then what? Then what? Like you're just gonna vote. Eh, we're just gonna vote on it. Eh, we'll throw in, we'll fill in our ballot and all right. <laughs> it's just such a backwards way to do it. If why is why is common sense thrown out the window so often? Why, why is the thing that makes the most sense sometimes the one thing that's just not used? If you have the best record in your section, then you are the number one team in a section. That's it. Why does it have to be anything other than that? Why do we have to leave it in the hands of the coaches to determine the seedings in a section when the record should pretty much do that? Anyway, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I would hope, I would hope that all the coaches who have a vote in whatever section and whatever region across the mountain state, I would hope they would do it honestly. I would hope that they would be, you know, forthcoming, that they would, they would do it the right way. But you always leave that little that little crack in the window, don't you? You always leave that little tiny space for somebody just to try to screw somebody over. Again, you hope it never happens, but why do you even why do you even take that chance? Just go by the records like every everybody else does on any level of any sport. All right. Time for a break. We got news and uh, weather coming up next. And when we come back after that, we will hear from Bob Huggins, Huggy Bear, who again, uh, not too happy with the NCAA transfer portal or the NCAA in general. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. I'm playing a bit hurt today, which seems to be the norm uh, recently. I said Monday because I wasn't here yesterday. But I said Monday I had uh, uh, something going on in my left ear uh, region. I didn't know if it was like water in the air or if I was building a candle in there or what was going on. Turns out that the ear is just full-blown infected. I have an ear infection. And it just, it hurts like nobody's business. I am medicating, apparently not enough. Or I'm just not using the right stuff. I have a hard time even keeping my left headphone on top of my ear right now. Got a giant cotton ball shoved on in there, medicine in there, 
You ever get an ear clog and you can hear your own voice in your head? Like when you talk, it, it, it echoes in, in, that's what I've been dealing with all day. I can hear myself in my head and it drives me. I don't even know how loud I'm talking right now. Right? It's very, it's very annoying. Anyway. Ear infection. I'm 50 years old. And I'm getting ear infections like I'm, I'm four. It's all jammed up, I tell you. It's all jammed up. I can't hear. <laughs> all right, Monday night. Actually, Monday morning. If you recall when I was here. Uh, I told you to stick around because Bob Huggins was on with KJZ at like 9.30 on Monday morning. Uh, apparently, Coach Huggins was making the rounds on Monday. A lot of people want his thoughts on Monday night's title game. And he appeared on Statewide Sportsline, which you can catch right here on this station, uh, 6 p.m. every weekday evening. And they were asking Coach Huggins about you know who he thought would win the title game. He said Gonzaga. He was wrong, like a lot of people. But then they started getting into other things. And keep in mind, anytime you hear Coach Huggins say Tony, he ain't talking to me. He's talking to Tony Caridi, who hosts Statewide Sportsline. And so they, they, after they got done talking about, you know, getting his prediction about the basketball game, Gonzaga, Baylor, whatnot, uh, Coach Huggins was asked, you know, how his team is looking, you know, about a month after, not even a month, a couple weeks after uh, their season ended. I don't have any idea. You know, it's it's a crazy time in college athletics. You know, you don't know who's who's coming and who's staying. And uh, it, it it's hard right now to to be able to say what your definite roster is because you don't know. I mean, we got we got four guys that are looking at the draft. And, and you know, you don't know how many of those slimy creatures called agents that are uh, slithering around uh, promising the world uh, and not being able to deliver anything but promising the world. So... It's tough. It's it, it's tough, and this is uh, this is quite frankly maybe the worst thing that's happened to college basketball and amateur sports because they've they've just turned turned loose. You know all the all the bums that try to uh, uh, lead, quite frankly, lead guys in the wrong direction, and on and on and on. And I mean, we could name a hundred cases. I just think it was a terrible decision by the NCA to do this. And and they, they put their selfish in by other blunders. I guess this became their way out. I, I, I'm on I'm on the Board of Governors, which is uh a huge table full of when you look around the, the who's who in college basketball coaching and there wasn't one vote for it. Everyone voted against it, and I mean everyone. And when you've got that going on and them basically saying, well, we appreciate your opinion, but uh, we're going to do what we want anyways, it kind of it doesn't leave a real good taste in your mouth. Now, Huggins said four testing the NBA uh, draft waters. I missed the fourth one. Because it was Sean McNeil, Taz Sherman, and Deuce McBride. 
I'm assuming that Derek Culver is going to do it too. I don't know if that's official or not, but I'm assuming that's the fourth one. Now, again, all of them have the right to return to the team because they they didn't hire what Huggins, what he called, slimy creatures. Apparently, uh, Huggins has no love for agents. And in some cases, nor should he. But it's very difficult these days, and you can hear it when Huggins talks about it. He's not the only coach that feels this way. It's very difficult to navigate season to season because you have absolutely no idea who's going to be on your team. You got guys, you know, testing the draft process. Maybe they'll return. Maybe they won't. Maybe an agent gets their hooks into them and promises something they can't deliver. And now, because once you hire an agent, you can't go back to school. That's it. You're done. You have this transfer portal with a thousand names in it, at least. You know, Jordan McCabe, he entered the portal. He's now at UNLV. Gabe Osaboyan entered the portal. I don't even know where he's at. I don't know if that's been announced yet. Every year, it just seems like there's a constant roster turnover. They just, they just brought in a player from uh, Florida International. A big fellow. Like, was he 6'9", give or take? Block shots, rim protector. So you literally need a program every year to figure out who's going to be on your favorite team and who isn't. Because of the draft process deal, and the NCAA, the transfer portal. And Huggins has no love for either one of those things. And he was asked about, you know, how how can this happen? How can this be possible when you have apparently all these coaches on the Board of Governors voting against it, but they still exist? I mean, Huggins basically said because they don't know what we know. See, Tony, there's just so many people that think they know our business that don't have a clue. I mean, don't have a clue. Um, and and a lot of them are housed in Indianapolis. And, it, you know, it just, it. we all look at each other like, are you kidding me? And and then, because they don't live in our world. And and they don't, they don't have to deal with the, the people who, year in and year out. I mean, I, I tossed the guy out this year and said, don't come back, man. If you, if you come back, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get the attorney general after you get back. You don't have a license to work here. Get out, you know, and, and, uh, but they're everywhere. I just happen to know that I get frustrated, uh, from the fact that, you know, you work so hard to try to help guys, not just, not just, athletically but academically and socially and everything else and you're you know i mean you're right about to the point where everything's about to come together and all of a sudden they say hey why don't you put your name in this portal and just see what's out there for you makes no sense to me and one of the big problems that huggins has and that i have and a lot of people have is a lot of players they just get hung out to dry because maybe they enter their name in the NBA draft, they hire an agent, but they don't get drafted. 
or the agent says, hey, come with me, and we can get you A, B, C, D, and E, and they only deliver A. You know, and and their career just falls apart. Or they enter the – look, entering the transfer portal does not guarantee that you go somewhere else. It doesn't guarantee you go to another school. And a lot of kids – as I said, a thousand names in the NCAA transfer portal right now. For basketball, I do believe alone. I could be wrong on that. Even if it's multiple sports, that's a lot of kids. Some of those kids won't find a new team. And if they enter the portal and their old team pulls their scholarship and a new team doesn't pick them up, they're done. They're floating in no man's land. And Tony Caridi, during the interview Monday, you know, kind of brought up to Coach Huggins about, hey, after a couple years in this portal, when you see players entering, but then not, you know, not getting what they want, will this kind of fix itself? And here was Huggins' answer. No, no, I don't. Think, think about the other things, Tony, that, that, that they've done. That Did the APR get it correct, corrected? No, absolutely not. It's still a rule. You know, and I said when I was at Cincinnati because the headlines of the Cincinnati Inquirer said Cincinnati basketball zero APR. We didn't have anybody that that was eligible for the APR. We recruited three junior college guys that year. Junior college guys never counted in the APR. So now it goes national that we have no one no one who can who, who, who does anything in the APR. That that was 100% false. I remember they that. Hurt kids. I remember. They hurt kids. I mean, forget programs. They hurt universities by doing that because yeah. they never it never crossed their mind that guys recruit junior college guys or transfer guys. Yeah. Only high school guys and only affected high school guys. And by the way, the same guy who came up with that came up with the portal. Tony, I care. You know, I care. I care about the young people that play for us. I care about the young people that have played for me. And it's not right, man. It's just, it's not right. It's not the right thing to do. And and, and, and all of the, 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 the student rights really came to a head. You know why they came to a head, right? Because of greed, not coaches' greed, came because of greed. Uh, the APR, by the way, uh, was something that was instituted by the NCAA in 2003. It's the academic progress rate, which holds schools accountable for the academic progress of their student-athletes through these team metrics. And like Huggins was, what he referenced there was when he was back with Cincinnati. They had three JUCO kids come in, but they were never counted towards the APR. So when Cincinnati's APR came out, it was zero. Like there was no academic progress rate at all. So the APR didn't fix anything, and the portal's not fixing anything. Uh, basically, in a nutshell, the NCAA just goes out of its way to screw things up. NCA goes out of its way to make things a lot worse than they actually should be. 
And everything you heard Huggins say right there, I guarantee if you ask most Division I coaches, they'll echo the same sentiments. The portal is awful. It is terrible. It's the worst thing to come down the pike in college sports maybe ever. And it's only going to get worse from here. All right, stick around. Back to wrap things up in just a bit here on Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Hey, the Masters uh, starts tomorrow at its uh, normal time. Of course, it was last fall because of the pandemic. Now we're back to the usual April start. Groupings and tee times were announced yesterday. And a couple storylines heading into tomorrow's first round. One being Brooks uh, Kepka, who is going to try to play about a month removed from having a dislocated kneecap repaired. Which I, I can't imagine doing much of anything let alone walk 18 holes of golf on that course. With more, here's the ESPN's Gene Wojciechowski. He had that surgery to reattach that ligament to that right kneecap on March 16th. Nobody said this was going to be easy, and just to give you an indication of the pain that he's dealing with, as he was walking down toward the green on the par 3 6th hole today, he literally put his golf glove in his mouth bit down on it and grimaced as he walked down there. That's the level of pain that he's going to have to deal with this week. And obviously, this is going to be a test not only of his physical toughness, but his mental toughness as well. I don't know even what they put in there, but there's a bunch of stuff going on in there that it's, um, can cause a pain right where the brace is. It's, it's probably in the most sensitive spot, so it's going to pull. Um, it's going to hurt downhill. What, in addition to the brace, do you have on there, like a sleeve or something? I was talking about inside. It was like an internal brace they put in there, right where the screw is. It's, or I don't even know if it's a screw. I don't even know exactly what it is, but it's right in the most sensitive part of the knee, um, in the kneecap. So they had to put it there just because it's still, still broken. Once I get going, it's all right. Um, just need to uh, make sure this controlling the swelling because swelling pops up. It's going to be, it's quite difficult. Like yesterday, it swelled up a little bit, but. Nothing I can do. Three hours of physical therapy this morning before he came out to the course was up until 12.30 a.m. the night before getting it worked on. Scotty, this is something he's going to have to deal with all week, but maybe he got a little bit of a break. He has a Thursday morning tea time and then the Friday afternoon tea time, so he gets a little extra bit of recovery going into Friday's round. So dude is out there with a reattached ligament after a dislocated kneecap trying to play golf at the Masters. Andy North is like, dude, what are you doing? I think the biggest issue I would have was can he re-injure it going up and down these hills, getting himself into position on a side hill lie and hitting a shot that something, uh, you know, gets worse than it is. It's going to swell up. It's going to be painful. I understand you don't want to miss major championships, but seriously, what are we doing? <laughs> He's like, what are we doing? Sit this one out, champ. Take a load off. Don't put yourself through it. I tend to agree. Another storyline from yesterday. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, who hits the ball a ton, kind of went a little super top secret, saying that uh, he may have something in his bag tomorrow that's going to make his game uh, even better. 
obviously there's there's something in the bag this week that's very helpful. I won't go into specifics of it, but uh, you know, just know this has been a few years in the making, and I'm very excited for it. Whether it helps me perform at a higher level, I, I'm not sure because it's golf. You never know what happens, but definitely from what I've seen on the driving range and what I've seen uh, last week in practice, there's some tremendous benefits to it. Now on that and more, here's back to Andy North along with uh, Scott Van Pelt. Well, he's been talking about a longer driver. He's messed with drivers in the past. Uh, you know, that's not the way you win this golf tournament. You can drive it a million miles. He did that last year and hit it on nine of the 16 par fives and two. But the key is you've got to putt well, and he has not putted particularly well here. He's improved his putting dramatically everywhere else he plays over the last few years, but it hasn't correlated yet here. We saw him out there on Monday and Tuesday as well, just attacking, <laughs> attacking this, this the look, driving range. This looked more like a workout than a than a practice session, but he that's tees what off he's doing. I love it. 136 on Thursday. <laughs> and uh, Andy, as we take a look at some of the other groups and the times that they'll be going, you can watch before coverage begins at 3 Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Just give me a thought on uh, the names as you see them pass and something that's interesting to you. Well, I really think Dustin Johnson is the, is the favorite. I mean, he's coming in here. He's played 11 consecutive rounds under par. He's played so well. Uh, he hasn't played great the last three starts, so everybody's started worried. Dustin Johnson, doesn't matter what he did 10 minutes ago, he's going to be focusing on what's going forward. I love his golf course attitude. John Rahm, just had, they just had their first child, good for him. Rory is in a bit of a struggle, and I think he's more struggling against Rory than anything else. Tried to get a little bit longer. That didn't actually work, which I thought was crazy, because the guy hits it as far as anybody. This girl, I love Justin Thomas, coming off with the players' victory. He's gotten better. Every single Masters he's played finished fourth last year. Maybe his time to jump up there and get himself another major championships. And, of course, his good buddy arrives off the win last week in Texas, Jordan Spieth. What do you make of the fact that his odds have shrunk considerably? Well, I think the biggest thing that I enjoyed about seeing Jordan last week, the last nine holes, he hit the ball very well. He hit some really good tee shots under pressure. You need to do that. He hasn't finished Sundays very well this year. Even through this stretch where he's had a bunch of top fives, he hasn't played great on Sunday. So he got a good Sunday in his belt. He's coming into a golf course he loves. I think the fact that Charlie Hoffman really pushed him. He had to win. He had to beat Hoffman, Absolutely. and he did. And, and do we agree that maybe the, the, the struggles were somewhat overstated? Yes, he fell out of the top 50. Yes, he, was, he felt adrift, and he broadcast it all to the world. But was it as bad as it as it seemed? Oh, absolutely not. There are a lot of guys in the locker rooms every week <laughs> that have loved to have the year he had, the two or three years he had. So, right. you know, it's again, when you're playing great, you're the best thing ever. When you're playing poorly, you're terrible. All right, so there you go. A little Masters preview. Teeing off tomorrow, baby. Of course, we'll talk about it during uh, tomorrow's show as play progresses. That's it. We're done. Don't forget, Nationals doubleheader coming up on this station Today, pregame beginning at 11.35, uh, the Nats and the Braves, a twin bill, which, again, we'll talk about more on tomorrow's show. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you back tomorrow, 7 a.m. Sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Ah, see ya.